0: Hey there, this is Pastor Corey, and welcome to the Branch Life Podcast. After you're done listening, I invite you to connect with us at branchlife.church to make sure you're up to date with everything going on at Branch Life. Want to share what you heard today? Subscribe to our YouTube channel and share this video with someone you want to encourage. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope that this presentation helps you connect with Christ and challenges you to reach those around you with the good news of Jesus. I don't know if you've ever been caroled or you've ever got to go caroling, but I think uh, Christmas 2020, we need to get our act together as a branch life church. And we need to get out there and uh, spread some Christmas cheer in a unique way. Really neat song of Christmas that was sung at by these carolers. And when carolers come around, they tend to sing the songs of Christmas. And that's exactly the series that we are ending up on tonight. We're finishing up our songs of Christmas series. Well, of course, Christmas happened this last week and we're in between Christmas and New Year. And so what song should we celebrate? I don't know if you're that kind of person that at December 26, all Christmas music is dead. Or if you're like stretching it out as long as possible. My wife began taking down some Christmas lights yesterday because it was warm out and before the rain. And I, I was walking down the street and I, I literally said, she's killing Christmas. I still think we have a little bit of time, and if we could advance to the the Christmas slides, if we have a little bit of time uh, to talk about one more Christmas song. But before we do that, kids, we want to dismiss you and invite you off to Branch Kids. We love you guys, so let's give them a big hand. Thank you so much, kids, for being a part of Branch Life Church, an important part. And thank you to our awesome kids' workers for helping and loving our kids as they run off to Branch Kids. So the songs of Christmas, the song that we'll be focusing on tonight points us to the end of our Christmas story, and we want to think about the phrase from the song, oh come let us adore him, from the song come all ye faithful. Where does this come from in the Christmas story? Well if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. Two of the Gospels have extended Christmas stories in them. Luke 2, which we've been reading from over the last few weeks, and Matthew 2, which we'll be looking at tonight. And as we've traveled through the Christmas story, starting with the announcements from the angels, the announcement that said you'll need to call his name Emmanuel, that means God is going to be present with us And God is present with us in all kinds of places. So we looked at his presence. And then we looked as they traveled from there to the little town of Bethlehem. And Bethlehem is the birthplace of a king. The king of kings and the Lord of lords. And Jesus is called the prince of peace. When Jesus is the king of your life, you have access to peace that is unexplainable. And peace is a gift that you receive. It is not something that you earn. It's not an ability that you improve on. So if you have a lack of peace, go to Jesus, and he'll give you that gift of peace. And then we traveled through the story, and after they arrived in Bethlehem, it came time for Mary to give birth, and she gave birth to Jesus in a stable, in a manger. And so we we looked at the song last week about joy to the world. The angels showed up in force and announced to the shepherds, joy to the world, the Lord has come. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so, how do we get joy? How do we get stronger? How can we go through 2020 with as much strength as we can muster? Well, when the joy of the Lord is your strength, you are able to thrive even in the midst of trauma and pressure. So, we talked a lot about joy. Now, where does that leave us? Well, Christ has been born. He was born in a manger. And then the Bible tells us that some things changed. Mary and Joseph didn't have to stay in the stable for months and months. They likely got themselves to an inn or to a home there in Bethlehem. And for the next couple of years, Jesus grew in stature and in wisdom. And he said his first words and he began to crawl. The moment that Jesus was born, something in the universe changed. Literally, when you looked up into the sky, something, excuse me, something happened with the stars. And the Bible tells us that there were three orient kings who were familiar with the stars and saw something had changed. And they, being from the orient, traveled a far distance to Bethlehem, led By the change in the stars. Isn't that incredible to think about? If Jesus really was God and he was now born on earth, what would be an appropriate way to mark that occasion? Well, the creator of the universe said, I'm going to move the stars to highlight God on earth. And that's where we pick up our story in Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king behold wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying where is he who has been born king of the Jews for we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. They got all that from a star. When Herod the king heard this he was troubled because Herod was the king. (laughs) right? He didn't need any other king showing up. And all Jerusalem with him, when the king is troubled, so are you. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. Remember, the announcement of Jesus' birth in Bethlehem happened 700 years before this conversation. And you, O Bethlehem, this is the prophet, in the land of Judea are by no means least among the rulers of Judea, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. After listening, jumping to verse 9, to the king, they, the wise men, went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary and his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. What an incredible part of the story. Listen, Jesus had already been born. The first Christmas had already happened. So what do we do? What do we do now that the Savior had been born? Well, God gives us the story of the wise men. Maybe it was three, maybe it was more. We say three because they gave him three gifts that we know of. And these wise men came and teach us tonight something about worship. And so from these from these verses that we read, think about the opportunity that we now have. To adore Jesus. We can adore Jesus. Adoration is a powerful, powerful, powerful activity. So why worship? Why gather? Why adore? Because when we worship the King, it changes everything. Do you know that you're always worshiping something? Worship is simply giving of yourself over to something else. Dedicating your time, your energy, your effort, and affection onto something. We do a really good job of adoration when a new baby is born, right? Because they're so cute and adorable. We come up to the little baby, we go, ah! you're so adorable. And all of a sudden, you have changed your posture, you have changed your thinking, you have changed your focus and your gaze, and it's all on this gorgeous baby. For in that moment, you are adoring. And it has your complete and full and utter attention. But that baby can't do much. I mean, it's worthy of your adoration because it's so stinking cute. But it's going to now make all the rest of us work really hard to keep it alive. Like, it's a lot that's got to be done to care for this baby. And so if you're a new mom or a new parent, this adoration of this cute baby becomes this endless pursuit of all your time and effort to keep this adorable little thing living and breathing. And it becomes the thing that you think about and do and, and go after. It becomes your concern. It becomes your sleepless nights. It becomes the thing that your finances fall into. And you can, if you're not careful, find yourself worshiping your very own children. We can worship our careers. We can worship our stuff. We can worship our presence. How do you know if these things have your adoration? How do you know what has captured the attention of your heart? If something would disappear from your life, how would it make you feel? How would you react? I remember driving down 322 in the middle of the day and turning over and seeing my friend's house on fire. And I quickly turned my car and I was one of the first people on the scene. Flames were shooting through the roof. And somebody had already gone and checked and nobody was home. But as I was standing there watching the fire, the owners of the house came up and they got out of their cars and they end up standing right next to me everything they owned was being burnt and destroyed and i remember just holding on to my friend as she sank and lost all all ability to even stand on her own because her whole world had just been taken away surprisingly does that now mean that her life is over If God would remove your career or remove your stuff or remove your family members. If God would remove your favorite sports team. Whoa now. Mm. If he would make you take a paycheck, excuse me, pay cut. What would that do to your inner peace and your joy? If it would destroy it, you may have to do some soul searching tonight that you're worshiping the wrong thing. The thing that is worthy of our worship is the lamb who was slain. The only thing that is worthy of our undying adoration is this baby that was born on the very first Christmas. As we started our series, we looked at this phrase of of truth that we studied out of the story of the angels coming to Mary. And this is a truth principle that comes out of the scriptures. God is always present. We can't argue with that. God has said over and over and over again, I am with you even to the end of the age. So why don't we see God? Why don't we feel his presence? Well, the problem is not that he's not there. The problem is we just don't always notice. We can get so busy with our children, with our careers, with our lives, with our pursuit, with our goals, that we can miss the very presence of God. These wise men walked into the house and they adored him. Think about how many people walked past the house and didn't even know he was there. The problem is not God's presence, the problem is that we don't always notice. Now, think about this when we notice, when you realize God is present with you, when you open your eyes and understand he is standing in our midst. When you see Him for all of His glory, when you feel His peace, when you feel His power, when you feel His presence, what does that do? We always worship. Every time God was revealed in Scripture, every time the people that were with Him noticed that He was who He said He was, when He did a miracle, when He raised someone from the dead, when He Himself raised from the dead, Every time someone walked into the presence of God, whether it was in the Old Testament or New Testament, it caused them to have utter focus on that God and to react in a posture of worship. When you see God present with you, you can't help but worship. That's what these three kings demonstrate in this story. That's what the shepherds demonstrate. That's what Mary demonstrates. That's what Joseph shows us. All through the Christmas story, what should our reaction be to this baby who gives us the presence of God, the peace that passes understanding, and joy as our strength? It must be and has to be and can only be worship. The Bible says that we should offer our bodies a living sacrifice because it is our reasonable act of worship. Everything I am Everything I have, all my energy, all my focus, all of me, I lay at your feet. I worship you. So as we look at this story from Matthew chapter 2, there are three places that we must recognize God's presence. Where the kings of Orient Far saw the presence of God and we can learn ourselves, train ourselves to understand God's presence in these three places. First, we see God's presence in creation. We must recognize God's presence in creation. Matthew chapter 2, verse 2, For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. How did kings from a distant land, before the internet, before airplanes, when camel travel was popular, how did they know, why were they so convinced that they had to go from the Orient all the way across the continent to Bethlehem? What in the world possessed them to do it? Creation. They saw something spectacular in the sky. They saw something unexplainable and beautiful and awe-inspiring, and it led them to a journey of worship. When's the last time creation captured your attention and caused you to focus on God? It might have been a sunset it could have been a, a long walk on the beach for me the last couple of months i've started to do this horrible torturous thing called running and every now and then i'll start to get to a spot where i'm not usually at during the day and running what one of the coolest things about it for me is it gets me outside and it gets me into a rainstorm or a snowstorm i ran the other day in the snow i know isn't that that's nuts that's like crazy nuts but it was beautiful It was spectacular, it was crisp, it was clean. I've run and I've seen deer running across the jogging path, a sunset over the hill. And in those moments, you're just able to soak in creation for all of its worth and thank the God of the universe that he's present with you. When I look at creation, whether it's the broadness of the universe or the intricacy of the molecules in front of me, whether it's the beauty of another person's face or the composition of a new song, I can be in awe of who God is and realize that he is present with me. Look at Psalm chapter 19. The heavens declare the glory of God and the skies above proclaim his handiwork. What is the number one best argument for the existence of God? Creation. Creation. A creator doesn't exist without his creation. Romans chapter 1 verse 20 says, For his invisible attribute, the things that you can't see, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they, everyone who sees creation, is without an excuse. How can a just God send anyone to hell? Because he showed himself to everyone in creation. And we must react to it. So where can I see the presence of God? I must be able to see the presence of God in creation. And the king saw him in the stars and they gave everything to worship him. The second place we need to see God's presence is we recognize God's presence in scripture. In Matthew chapter 2 verse 5, the, the king's men said, For so it is written by the prophet. How did they know where to find the king? How did they know where specifically what town to go to. I mean, the star had got them so far, but they needed more specifics. They needed to find out more details about Jesus and where he would be born and what would happen with the king. Well, they looked at Scripture. They looked at the prophecies. They looked at the Old Testament, and the Old Testament showed them God. We don't just read the Bible because it's a really good how-to-do life book. We don't read the Bible because it's got some really great stories. I mean, guys getting thrown into lion's then and whales with people in their bellies and and, uh, people, all kinds of crazy things happening and cool poems and awesome songs and predictions about the future. It's a real page-turner. We read the Bible because it demonstrates and shows us the presence of God. When you open the Word of God each and every week, You enter into the presence of God and you literally get to hear His voice speak to you through the words of Scripture. If you go through the Bible and through reading the Bible as an academic activity and not as engaging in the presence of God, you are missing out. When you open God's Word, recognize that He is present with you. He's having a conversation with you. He is talking to you. Here tonight, God is speaking to us through the story of the wise men in Matthew chapter 2. He is giving us a conversation and telling us a story and showing us what His words mean. God is here because we are opening the Scripture. So go to the words of God. Your words are a light unto my fit path and a lamp unto my feet. Psalm, chapter one, Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible, and it's all about the words of God and how we love and adore them. In 2020, what's one thing that I can do to strengthen my connection to Christ? That's be more invested in time in God's word. Listen to him, hear him, seek his voice, be in his presence when you open his book. The third place that we recognize God's presence that's shown to us in Matthew chapter 2 is we recognize God in the person of Jesus. The kings in Matthew 2, 11 said they saw the child with Mary and they fell down and worshipped him. When they came into the house, the house that was directly under the starlight, the house that was the fulfillment of prophecy, And they entered into the presence of this baby king. They recognized they were in the very presence of God. When you know and talk and learn and hear and sing about the person of Jesus Christ. You see God in flesh. God became man. So that we can know God. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father, God, but through me. Do you recognize the presence of God in the person of Jesus? In the person of Jesus. This little baby that was born on Christmas, who grew in wisdom and stature, and favor with God and man. Who was born to die, who taught through Uh, his lifespan and then gave his life on the cross only to be resurrected again from the dead has Jesus become your own personal savior have you become a follower of Jesus have you given your life to him have you trusted him with everything that you are and if yes you've become a follower of Jesus and yes you've been born again then are you regularly meeting with Jesus face to face to learn more about God and to love and worship him more Because in the presence of Jesus, we are in the presence of God. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, verse 20, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, incredibly powerful passage. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, And for in him all the fullness of God is pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. We see Jesus, we see God's presence in creation, we see God's presence in scripture, and we see God's presence in the very person of Jesus Christ. The reactions to God's presence must always be worship. So to close our thoughts tonight, what can we learn about worship? How can I strengthen my ability to worship my king? How can I put all of of everything else in life in its correct place? What does it mean to worship Jesus as I travel through life? I know I've got a raise my kids I know I've got to have a career I know I've got to care about finances and physical health I know all of those things are important but they are not the thing that should be worshipped Jesus God is the thing that should be worshipped so what can the wise men teach us about worship Matthew chapter 2 verse 11 says and they the wise men fell down and worshipped him and then opening their treasures they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense of myrrh and myrrh what does worship include What does worship include? When I find myself in the presence of Jesus, what should happen? Number one, worship includes a sacrificial journey. Worship includes a sacrificial journey. The wise men from the east traveled to Jerusalem and they said, we have come to worship him. You know, traveling from the east to Bethlehem in the age of the camel was no picnic. The the camels, they spit. This, This wasn't a couple of days that they gave to the pursuit of worshiping Jesus. This was a couple of years. And then they had to go back. They took time away from their families, away from their jobs, away from their kingdoms. They gave everything so that they could go to be in the presence of Jesus and worship Him. Worship involves a sacrificial journey. Now, those of us that call ourselves Christians in Pennsylvania in the end of 2019 have worshiped pretty easy. We have all kinds of options for gathering together as a church. I mean, if you don't like the flavor here, you can go over there. And if the temperature is wrong there, you can go up over yonder. And if the singer is off key at this place, we can head over to that place. And if it's not the right time, I can organize it around my schedule. And I'll make worship fit in the right place in the right time. And we often give up a sacrificial journey. It shouldn't be all that easy to come to worship. But worship needs to be something that I set some other things aside for. That I give up some time and energy and effort for. And there are other places that you could be tonight, but in being here, you have sacrificed those other things so that you can worship. And I don't know where you are on your spiritual journey close to God or far from God, but as you travel close to God, it's not all about what you can get. It's all about what you can give And when I worship, when I journey in worship, I'm constantly sacrificing who I am, what I have, my time, my energy, my finances, and my emotion for my Savior. So that I can be a part and my life can be a small part of what God is doing in this world, in this universe. But God tells us that when we sacrifice, that He is the one who takes care of everything that we need. When we are radically generous, God is able then to radically move in and through us in powerful ways. Do you think that the wise men, when they found baby Jesus, went, oh, well, that totally wasn't worth it. I mean, seriously, for this? Oh, come on, star. I thought there was going to be something amazing. And that's us when we worship. That song was so slow. Or that's the oldest song. I've heard it a hundred times. Or why do they have to do all those new songs? I mean, really, is that it? And that preacher, blah, 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 blah. And my coffee was lukewarm. Aren't you suffering? But when you realize that we gathered in this place and where two or three are gathered, God is present. Holy smoke. I'm in the presence of God. I've gathered with my family and together we're in the presence of God with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Together we're in the presence of God and I get to worship him and I get to sing to him and I get to adore him and I get to love him and I get to give to him. I get to learn from him. I get to hear his voice in my life. I get to follow him with everything that I have and today I need my relationship with God. I need my refreshing cup of cold water. I need the peace that passes understanding and the joy of the Lord to be my strength. When I am in the presence of God, it's worth it. Every sacrifice is worth it. So worship involves a sacrificial journey. Don't ever stop sacrificing when you come to worship God. Give Him everything. Give Him more than you can give. Because worship involves a sacrificial journey. Second, worship includes a humble posture. When the wise men saw baby Jesus, they fell down. And they worshiped him. This is the most often way people responded in scripture to the presence of God. They saw God, not when they saw God, they didn't run up and give him a hug. They didn't start to dance. And I know we, we have the song, I can only imagine, right? When I'm in your presence, I can only imagine, will I dance for you, Jesus? Probably not. Most people do this. Most people when they got in the presence of God, fell on their faces. They fell to the ground. They landed on their knees. And they averted their eyes and pointed them down towards the earth because they now realized that they, a sinner, was in the presence of a holy God who had the power and the right to take their their insignificant lives. They knew that their best works were worthless, and they knew how unworthy they were in the presence of someone so worthy. And so they fall to their faces, and they get as low as they possibly can because they find themselves in the presence of Almighty God. When I worship God, my posture changes. Not to God, you owe me. Not to God, how could you forget me? Or God, why did you not listen to me? What about me, God? When I'm in the presence of God, it becomes all about him. And I worship him even with my posture. And sometimes we take a posture towards God that is offensive, that is self-serving, that is rude, when we should be taking a posture of humility. A posture says, less of me and more of you. And these kings, when they saw this baby, were so overwhelmed by the presence of God that they fell on their faces to worship him. And thirdly, we see that worship includes our giving treasures. Worship includes giving our treasures. They offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. So here's what happens when you realize you're in God's presence. You realize God is there. He's always been there. And holy smokes, I change my posture. And then when I'm able to collect myself, okay, um, God... (laughs) Thank you for everything. Here, take this and this, and can I get you something to eat? And do you need any money? And can I play my drum for you? And God, is there anything I, that you need, anything I can do? Everything that I have is yours. These wise men then opened their treasures, the thing that they valued, and they gave them to God. To a ba- What's a baby going to do with gold, frankincense, and myrrh? But it's what they had. And they gave their treasures to God. When we realize we're in the presence of God, our reaction must be to give our treasures, our valuable things to God. How do I avoid from worshiping the wrong thing? Listen to this, it's extremely important. How do I avoid worshiping the wrong thing? I don't want to worship my kids, I don't want to worship my career, I don't want to worship my talents. Then you give them to God. You give them as gifts to God. The thing that you find yourself treasuring above God, you take it and you give it to God. You give God your creative ability. You give God your kids. You give God your career. You give God your talents. You give God your home. And then he does with it what he will. Give it to God and you won't worship it. When you give it to God, you worship God. Worship involves giving God our treasure Are you worried about finances? Give it to God. Literally, give it to God. Are you worried about your kids? Give it to God. Are you worried about your health? Give it to God. And worship Him with it. In Revelation chapter 4, it says, a picture into what heaven will be like. And the 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever, and they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, worthy are you, O Lord God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. We don't have anything without God. We don't exist without God. And We realize we are in the presence of God. He is the one who is worthy of everything that we can give. And these elders took their crowns And in the Bible, we understand that crowns in the book of Revelation represents even the good things that we have done. And we take the things that we have done, we take the things that are valuable to us, we take our accolades and our rewards, and we give them to God and we throw them at His feet. This will be our reaction when we see God in heaven, to give Him everything. Because He is worthy, He is worthy, He is worthy, He is worthy to be worshipped. He is worthy of our adoration. He is worthy of our praise. Let's not sing songs with half of our heart. Let's not enter into his presence and into his church with an ungrateful spirit. Let's not begrudgingly travel to the places where God sends us and where we can gather together and learn more about him. Let's not see it as an inconvenience, but let's sacrificially journey to God and take a humble posture and open up our treasures to Him and for Him, giving Him everything that we are. That's what we want to be about as a branch life church. We want to be a church that's incredible at worshiping a God who is worthy of everything we can possibly give Him. So what do I do? What do I do with this baby who has been born? What do I do with this child that's lying in a manger oh come all ye faithful oh come let us adore him let us adore this baby together
1: thousand. It's who you are, it's who you are, and i love by you, it's who, am. it's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am, I've seen many searching
0: Perfect, let's sing it out.
1: You are, you are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. To us. You're good, good Father. To you are. To you are. Who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am. You're good, good love. It's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am. Father, just our voices, your good, good Father, it's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you, it's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am.